0: We're continuing our series on Come to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but the words of that song have been going through my head these last few weeks. Uh, It seems every time I have a struggle or every time I'm annoyed or frustrated, I hear those words echo in my ears, Come to Jesus. And I hope that that's um, what's happening in your heart. And um, this morning, I want to particularly speak to uh, the men. And uh, so, women, you can go home now. (laughs) No, you can't. You can't. I need you ladies here to reinforce what I'm saying. Um, I need you here to, to be a support to our men. But I want, I, want you to, I want to point out something I think most of us know, and that is that uh, most men feel that religion and spiritual issues are really the province of women. That's, uh, that's, that's a women's job to take care of spiritual matters in the home, the kids. Uh, would, you, would you kind of agree with that? Lots, I mean, that's what I grew up with. Um, before my parents ever gave their hearts to Jesus or started going to church, it was my mom that uh, that got us kids up for church, got us dressed, and got us out the door onto the Sunday school bus. And um, it was it was mom who uh, who when dad finally started going to church, it was mom that got the kids up and got dad up and dressed him. Any men like that here today? <laughs> uh, mom would have our, our clothes laid out and dad's clothes laid out. And then mom would take us to church. And, uh, and if dad had had a busy or tired week, then mom would let him stay home. And so we thought, uh huh, if we could just have a real busy and tired work, then we don't have to go to church either. We could stay home and watch cartoons with dad. Mom had us uh, pray over dinner. It was Mom who, at the end of a busy day, would pray with us before we went to sleep. Uh, it was Mom who got us involved in church. In fact, it was my mom that got me teaching Sunday school when I was only 14 years old. And By the time I was 15, I had my own class. But it was my mom that led the way in that regard. And... Uh, um, My dad did help occasionally when mom was getting the kids ready for church. Dad would sit in the car and honk the horn to help, you know. (laughs) How many women are helped by their husbands honking the horn? Uh, Yeah, that's what I grew up with. Mom talked, it was mom that talked to us about spiritual matters and it felt kind of awkward talking to dad about such things, although I have to tell you that uh, it's changed very much now I can have wonderful discussions with my dad about spiritual matters but this is what I grew up with and that's what many many guys have grown up with believing that spiritual matters are really um, is, it's so sort the of women's thing Let's let, let the ladies do that now I want you to know something that value is now passed on to the next generation the next and especially to boys if it's the mom and not the dad that's part of this process then the children grow up thinking that religion and, and spiritual matters really is a, it's a girl's job. It's a woman's job. And, and in fact, uh, you know, as long as the wife gets to church, um, that's the main thing. And that will sort of do good for the whole family, right? That'll sort of, you know, our bases are covered. You know, the wife went to church and, and God's blessing will stay on the house. And, and, uh, and, and then this way, you know, do two things at once. Kill two birds at once. The wife goes to church. I saw him and cut the grass. And we got lots done today, right? Wrong while researching uh my topic today i um I decided i was going to google how men influence their children and look look what i got here uh is anybody anybody familiar <laughs> that's it that's it i uh <laughs> that's exactly what it said i i actually i've got a wonderful little tool that Mike Poe really showed me how to use it i can just cut i can just uh Cut that out for you. And um, how men influence their children. And, and, and then Google says, Did you mean how women influence their children? I mean, Google is saying, You don't know what you're talking You're asking the wrong question. You, you must have got that one wrong. Uh, you, you, in other words, you're saying you made a mistake. Did uh, anybody use Google? Like, you know, if you spell something wrong, they'll say, Did you mean. You, you spe- you know what, they don't want to be rude and say, look, you don't know how to spell, you idiot. <laughs> this is how you spell the word. Well, it's the same question. You, you don't know what you're asking, you idiot. You must have meant that, right? How women influence their children. And, uh, and you have to really, really go searching to find out how men influence their children because there's not much said on the subject. And so look what it says. Mothers influence children's growth. Uh, men, Ralph Waldo Emerson says, men are what their mothers made them. Uh, Mothers seem to have forceful influence over their children. They're responsible in molding their children. Now, I want you to know something. That's what our culture believes. And it's because men haven't risen up and done their job as men. And if you go to your Bible, you're going to discover, men, that it's a man's responsibility to give leadership in his home to not just his children but to his wife as well and in fact men are supposed to rise up and be godly influencers even in the church and guess what even in their community and yes even at the place that they work it's huge responsibility that god has put on us as men now we are not used to seeing things this way. We're not used to this. And we sort of have tried to adapt so that, you know, we just sort of fit along with what the culture says. But the Bible has a very different understanding for us of what it means to be real men. And look at the Apostle Paul then. Who is the great preacher in the very first century of the Christian church, when he says to a young man by the name of Timothy, and he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from all this, and he's referring to uh, the temptation of money, sex, and power, and he says, pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In other words, when you became a Christian. Take hold of that eternal life which you, which, to which you were called when you became a Christian. Now I want to talk to you this morning, guys, and, 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 and girls, and women, who are going to help me with, with this today. Uh, I, want to, I want to talk to you guys about the very first struggle Of every man. The very first struggle you're going to have as a Christian, and it's this. It's it's an identity issue. What does it mean to be a man? Who am I, and what am I supposed to be like as a man? And of course, you know these stereotypes. You know what a a man's supposed to be rough, right, and tough, and have nice, big, nasty tattoos of skulls, heads, and and serpents on his arms that makes him look like a real man right he needs to be macho he needs to act and talk in a masculine manner when i was in greece one of my friends told me that uh when when he was growing up he was not allowed to talk in a high-pitched voice i said well who goes around talking in a high-pitched voice He goes, no you don't understand I was not allowed to, to sound like a boy. I had to sound like a man as, as soon as I could. So I said, well, what do you mean by this? Well, I had, to, I had to try to speak in the lower registers. So we had to talk like this. My name is Nico. I said, you're telling me that you had to try to talk in a, in a low voice? He goes, yeah, because that's what it means to be a man. Some people think, some guys, young guys, think, you know, while well, you're in your 20s, to be a real man, you've got to be a real party animal, right? You've got to be able to be able to drink the other guys under the table. I remember that before my dad became a Christian, he loved to tell us, sit around the table having coffee. He loved to tell us about all the ways that he could drink the guys at work under the table. Just what an eight-year-old boy needs to hear, right? Tell me more, Dad, about your barroom days, about the guys he punched out with his massive plumber arms. Those were the days when pipes were not made out of plastic. They're made out of steel. <laughs> and it would be, oh, wow, cool, Dad. That's so awesome. You punched them out. Who else did you punch out? <laughs> did you bring blood? Yes. Oh, it's wonderful, Dad. Tell me more. So that's what a real man is, right? real man's man. Oh, yeah. And all the guys thought Dad was great know what a man is some guys think that to be a real man means you got to sleep with lots of women and the more women you sleep with the more of a man you are anybody ever hear of magic johnson 1991 it came out in the papers that he had aids and of course back in the early 90s everybody thought aids must be gay right because that's it was actually before it was called aids it was called grids gay related Immunodeficiency disease. Is that right, Shane? Have I got that right? Close enough. And so, how could, how could Magic Johnson have AIDS? Well, it turns out that was, the, that was the, the turning point in the spread of sexual diseases. It wasn't just gay men that had AIDS. It been, had been spread now to women. And uh, Magic Johnson claims that he slept with between 300 and 500 women every year. Uh, if you do the math on that, it seems rather ridiculous. But put it this way: there's so many you couldn't even count them. In recent years, uh, recent months, days, we've heard about the the breakup of Tiger Woods' marriage. It's been estimated that he slept with over 121 different women. And uh, and there's even there's even blogs and about the the great Hall of Fame, men who slept with many women. Because this really somehow makes you a man. And the question is this, uh, what does this mean? Whoever sleeps with the most women wins. What do they win besides STDs? Is that what makes you a man? I I want to point out what the Apostle Paul tells Timothy. About being a man. And I need to point out to you that the Apostle Paul says that if you want to truly be a man that honors God and loves the Lord and wants to see Jesus someday, then you have to be a man of God. This is the identity of every man who is a Christian he is a man of God now we struggle with that because our culture has no understanding has no idea of what it means to be of God we don't understand what that means they think being of God means you simply go to church maybe once in a while or or you know if on your birth certificate in Greece it'll say what religion you are. I mean, we don't have that here, but in, religion, in Greece you're either an atheist, a Muslim, a Jew, a Hindu, or a Christian. But you fit into some category. And uh, their, their feeling is, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. But yet, there's no evidence of their Christianity. And if you've Been following the news. If your head hasn't been stuck in a hole somewhere, you know that right now Europe is in big trouble because of Greece, which claims to be 95% Christian. And yet there's more crooks per square yard in Greece than you're going to probably find anywhere. And uh, I don't say that to be mean to Greece because I actually love Greece. But the confusion is, my friends, what does it mean to be a man? Of God. Well, the Apostle Paul takes Timothy under his, uh, under his wing because Timothy uh, doesn't seem to have a father's influence in his life. It, we read in 2 Timothy 1.5, uh, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, his, uh, and this is a letter to Timothy, he says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives also in you. There's no mention of the father here. Now, I don't know what happened to Timothy's father. Um, maybe, maybe he ran away. Maybe he was one of those womanizers. I don't know. Maybe he died. Uh, maybe he couldn't handle the responsibilities of being a father there, and uh, he left his son behind. I don't know. I don't know this. But I do know this. That Timothy needed instructions on what it meant to be a man, and what it meant to follow after God. Now, I want you to understand that that until you understand, gentlemen, that God calls you to be of him, to be like him, to have his attitude, to have his heart, to do what he would do, until you understand then that you don't really have a clue what it means to be a Christ follower. You really don't know what it means to follow hard after Jesus. And so the very first thing that I want to teach my sons and teach the people that are under my influence is that if you're going to be a man, then the very first thing you need to do is you need to be of God. Because being rough, being tough, being macho, being a womanizer, being a party animal doesn't make you a man. It just makes you well, it makes you fit all the stereotypes that women especially have of men. What do what do women say about men? Here's, here's some of the stereotypes. All men are rapists. That's what Marilyn French said. She was the advisor of uh, Al Gore's presidential campaign. Quote, all men are rapists and that's all they are. Imagine that. That's all we are, men. That's what Marilyn French says. We are just rapists and nothing else. Andrea Dworkin says that men are violent. This is what she says, quote, Men are rapists, batterers, plunderers, killers. Did you know that, men? These same men are religious prophets, poets, heroes, figures of romance. They're adventurers. They're uh, men of accomplishment. They're figures ennobled by tragedy and defeat. But they are violent. Katha Pollitt said, We live, I'm trying to say, in an epidemic of male violence against women. Robin Morgan of Ms. Magazine, she's the editor, you know what she says? She, she, she believes that all men are worthless. She says, I feel that man-hating is an honorable and a viable political act, that the, that the oppressed have a right to class hatred against the class that is oppressing them. And so her view is that all women are oppressed by men, and so therefore men are worthless. Popular Feminist Graffiti says, women have their faults, men only have two, everything they say and everything they do. We haven't got women laughing at that, do we? Former Congressman Barbara Jordan, she says this, she says, men are unemotional, insensitive, and cold. She says, I believe that women have a capacity for understanding and compassion which man structurally does not have. In other words, men aren't, aren't created to have a capacity for understanding and compassion and does not have it because he cannot have it. He's just incapable of it. Wow. Guys, I don't know about you, but I feel pretty terrible. Valerie Solanus in the Scum Manifesto says, to call a man an animal is to flatter him. He's a machine. And Marilyn French says, all men are controlling because all patriarchates exalt the the home and family as sacred, demanding that it remain inviolate from prying eyes. Men want privacy for their violations of women. All women learn in childhood that women uh, are are for sex and are for men's prey. Among the other stereotypes, men are unable to commit. Men are focused only on success, money, and sex men are overly rational, and men are coarse. Well, if that doesn't make you want to slit your wrists, I don't know what does. But that's what our culture says about us, guys. And you know what? Our boys, our young men, are growing up in that kind of a culture, that kind of society that says that men are violent, they're worthless, they're rapists, they're unemotional, they're immoral, they're control freaks, they're coarse, crude, rude, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, but you are a man of God. You don't fit the stereotypes. I mean, can I just say this to you this morning? This written almost 2,000 years ago. They faced the same challenges that we face today. And men were thought ill of the same way that men are thought ill of today. And so here's the thing, guys. You and I need to understand who we are. And when we begin to understand who we are, it will change the way that we live. In other words, once you decide and understand what your values are, your values will always determine your actions. Your values will always determine what comes out of your mouth. Your values will always determine what goes on in your mind. And what is the value that we're talking about here today? That we are men of God. We're of God. We're not of the world. We're not of the culture. We're not of the society. We're of God. That means we're different. It means we think different. We talk different. We act different. We go to different places than what the world goes to. We engage in activities that are different from what the world engages in. Does this make sense? We're different. We're of God. We ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? How would Jesus act? That's our first struggle, gentlemen. Coming to terms with the fact that you are of God. And this is the lesson that I teach my boys, and every chance I get a chance to talk to them. And I don't mean, okay, children, sit at the kitchen table, now I've got a sermon for you. Turn in your Bibles to... <laughs> I'm taking Nicholas to, 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 to school. I'm driving him to school. Jesse and I are going for, for, for lunch, going for a hamburger. We're having a discussion of what it means to be a man. And it means that we are of God. So here's the, here's the thing, guys. Your, your very first struggle is a struggle you've got to come to terms with, and you've got to make a decision right here, right now, that you're going to be a man of God. You're going to make it clear to the people that you work with, the people that you hang out with, the people that you, that you live with, the people you go to school with. Make it clear to your daughters, your sons, your spouse, your friends. You're going to make it clear to them that you are a man of God. You're going to make it clear by your example and by the words that come out of your mouth that following Jesus is the most important thing in your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a real man. And so I want to ask all men a question today, and it might make you blush. And, because, and the reason it might make you blush is because your wife is here, your girlfriend's here, your children are here. But you need to face this question. You need to deal with this question. You need to take it seriously. I'm going to ask you this question. Man, what would the people in your life, what would they say was the most important thing to you? What would your kids, if I asked your kids, interviewed your kids and said, what's the most important thing to your dad? What, what What would they say? And I would challenge you to go and ask your kids after the service. When you get home from church, just say, son, daughter, wife, ask your friends. Ask the people you work with. What would you say was the most important thing in my life? And if they say anything other than Jesus, then you've got a major problem on your hands. Because it's not clear yet in your heart and mind who you are and what you are. And here's the thing. When you're not clear about who you are and what you are, then you're going to have confusion in your life. And you'll find yourself swinging and, and making no sense. You'll find yourself confused. You'll find yourself not sure whether you want to be a Christian or not a Christian or sometimes a Christian. You'll, you'll find yourself sometimes following, following Christ and other times following other things. And you will not be happy. You show me somebody who's unhappy and I'll show you somebody who's not pursuing A value or a goal. Unhappiness always comes with confusion. That's a man's first struggle. Who am I? And I hope today you can say I'm a man of God, and everybody in my life would clearly say the most important thing to me is God. Now I wish I could say that there's only one struggle, and all you have to do is just overcome that one struggle, and everything's going to be great. But there's a second struggle. And uh, it can be wrapped up in one word. It's the word responsible. Listen to these statistics. i got five statistics for you. Men commit suicide four times more often than women. So in other words, for every woman who commits suicide, there's four men who have committed suicide Men between ages 18 and 29 suffer alcohol dependency at three times the rate of women at the same age. And more than two-thirds of all alcoholics are men. Fifty percent more men are regular users of illicit drugs than women. Life expectancy for men is 10 percent shorter than for women, and the reason? The incidence of stress-related illness, such as heart disease and certain cancers, remain inordinately high among men. And finally, more than 80%, this really shocked me, more than 80% of America's homeless are men. Now what's the common denominator here between these statistics? Is it it men are more evil than women? Is it women just tend to be better than men? My Bible is, it doesn't make any distinction. It says that all men and all women need Jesus equally. What's, what's the common denominator? It's, it can be found in one word. It's a word responsible. And here's what happens when people cannot handle their responsibilities. They can't handle the stress and the pressure of life. They commit suicide. They try to find a way to cope with the stress. They take a few drinks, and it turns to more than a few drinks, and it becomes a way of life. They start taking less drugs. They die of stress-related diseases. They end up on the street with no place to live because they can't handle the responsibilities of life. Now, I know some of you think, oh, yeah, but there are exceptions. Yes, there are exceptions. You know, there's, there's sometimes a, a mental or emotional problems, and we recognize that, but that doesn't, doesn't mean that it's still not a responsibility issue. So here's the thing, people. Men men who can't handle the burdens and the responsibilities of life are going to be men who start living up to the terrible stereotypes about men. Now here's the good news, guys. God knows that you can't handle the stress of life on your own. And that's why Jesus says to us, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, all you who are carrying responsibilities and it's pressuring you, it's stressing you, and you feel like dropping out, you feel like ending your life, you feel like taking something to dull the pain and the stress, all of you, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will teach you how to get through this life. My friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Christianity. This is the good news of the Bible. You don't have to face this life on your own. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to handle the stress and the problems on your own. We have a secret resource We have a secret weapon, and it's Jesus. And this morning, if you haven't learned how to rely on God, how to to handle the responsibilities that God has put upon you, then you're going to find yourself in big problems, in big trouble. If a man fails to see himself as a man of God, I can tell you this, he definitely will not see himself as one able to handle his responsibilities. If he doesn't see himself as a man of God, then he may be handling some of his responsibilities, but overall you would say he's pretty irresponsible. Doesn't keep his word. Doesn't do what he said he's going to do. Doesn't keep his promises. Doesn't show up at time. Doesn't do what he thinks he can do. You will fail, men. You will fail, and you will live up to the, terrible stereotypes about you until you make up your mind that you want to be a man of God and you want to fulfill your responsibilities. And if you don't, you will become known as someone who is selfish and angry. Anger and selfishness will be the rule in your life, and you will resist responsibility. Now, I don't know if you saw that movie, Night at the Museum. Anybody see that movie, Night at the Museum? One person, two, three, four. Can I see that hand? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> ben Stiller. Uh, a father is just failing badly. Can't keep a job. Can't seem to fulfill his responsibilities. He's, uh, his wife has left him. Got another man. She's just fed up with him. He's got visiting rights, but now these are being threatened. The wife is saying, look, you're going to lose these as well if you can't hold down a job because it's having a bad effect on our son. And she's right. An irresponsible father has a terrible effect on his son. In fact, irresponsible father almost always equals irresponsible son. Sorry, that's just the way it is. Unless that son comes to Jesus and sees himself as a man of God. And uh, Ben Stiller realizes this is his last chance, and he gets a job at the museum. And uh, I'm not going to go through the whole movie here because it'll take me about an hour and a half. But let me say this to you. After a whole chain of really amazing and strange events, Ben Stiller learns how to be a responsible man. He learns how to be a responsible father, and the way, that, and I love the way the director, the producers, the writer of the story, demonstrates to us that he has now become a responsible man. And you know how they do it? Is he learns how to master the flashlight. Whereas before, he couldn't do anything right. Now, suddenly, he can whip that flashlight out of his holster and spin it in his hand. and The way a gunslinger would be able to pull a gun out of his hand, spin it, and it looks ridiculous. And of course, that's why you laugh. It's so ridiculous. But you see, suddenly, you see something in Ben. A brand new confidence. A confidence that makes him able now to go on and get a better job. And of course, you see that in the sequel. Gentlemen, you lack confidence in your life, you lack that spring in your step, embarrassed of what you do for a living. God doesn't want it to be that way. God wants you to have a confidence that comes from him, and it will only come when you see yourself as a man of God who takes his responsibilities seriously. Which means you're going to become an excellent father to your kids. You're not going to leave the spiritual matters to the wife. The wife, I hate that, the wife. Not the wife, it's Gloria. It means, gentlemen, you're going to be a fantastic husband. It means that your wife is going to really admire and respect you and look up to you as being a great man. It means your kids are going to really respect and admire you and say, I want to be like him someday. It means the people at work are going to say, I don't know exactly what it is about Bill, but he's a great guy. Here's someone I want to be like. Look at this. Uh, look at this language that the Apostle Paul uses in his letter to young Timothy. Now, remember, Timothy doesn't have a dad, and so no, the Apostle Paul is speaking to him, man, oh man, oh. He's talking to him like a like a like a young protege. He's going to teach him how to be a man. And interestingly, we read in Second in, in, uh, Timothy 1.4, uh, he's writing this letter to Timothy, and he says to Timothy, Timothy, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that my joy may be fulfilled. Timothy, I know you're struggling. And you're having a hard time. You're breaking down, having a hard time facing the responsibilities of life. And then he, what does he do? Oh, poor Timothy. Timothy, don't worry. Just let your mother take care of matters. Let, let, let your grandmother take care of things. You, you back off of the stresses of life. You don't have to handle that. Your mother's done a good job all along. You let her keep on being, being mom, and you, you just enjoy the, being taken care of and pampered by your mom and your grandma. Is that what he says? No. Look, look what he says, and it, it's really strong language. I, I wish you could see it in the Greek because it's, it's powerful, very masculine. And look what he says here. He says, uh, let's look at that but you, man of God, flee from all this sin. See that word flee? He's saying, run like mad. Run run like the wind. Prove that you're a true athlete, that you can really move. You can really flee. And he uses that word pursue. That word pursue is to hunt, to stalk until you get exactly what it is that you're looking for. Don't be a wimp. How many know that being a man is, is not for wimps? You need to pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love. Stalk it, hunt it, pursue it until you get it. Don't stop, don't give up, don't quit. That's right, endurance. Endurance means you don't give up, you don't quit. You hang in there until you get the job done. I don't know if anybody here remembers the days when there was only two channels on TV. Anybody remember those days? Just Al and me? (laughs) There was a time when you could get two channels. And if you could speak French, well, then you had three channels. We only had two channels, and oftentimes whatever was on in the evening wasn't very interesting. So my dad uh, would try to get us um, having fun at home. Those were the good old days. Hot chocolate and popcorn and, and wrestling in the living room. And he would get us boys fighting each other. We would do the Indian leg wrestle. Anybody remember that? No, just me? <laughs> I can show you. Anybody want to come up here? No, I won't do that. On your back, you know, your leg, and, you, and then, and then you arm wrestling and, and then hanging from a bar for as long as you can. And, and whoever could la- hang the longest was the real man. My sister was a wonderful man. <laughs> <laughs> My dad would get us to fight and wrestle, and there'd be blood and hair pulled out, and, and uh, dad would be laughing, thinking it was just great fun. And my sister, boy, she had a mean punch. And, uh, and I, I, I'm telling you, we just, uh, we're just going to be men, men. And we would fight. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says there. Fight the good fight of the faith. Don't give up. Hang on to it. Get it. And then he uses that word to take hold of eternal life. Get it. Hang on to it. Don't let go. You're a man. You're a man. You're not a wimp. You're a man. Don't give up. Be a man of God. Hang on tight. Pursue it. Excel. This is what it means to be a man. Now, If a man does not learn to seek God with his whole heart, if a man doesn't learn how to take seriously his responsibilities as a man, if a man tries to hold on to his responsibilities and fulfill his responsibilities in his own power and in his own strength, my friends, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure this out. You're going to try to handle the responsibilities of life and when you feel stressed out, you're going to turn to something or someone that's going to help relieve the stress and the pressures of life. You're going to find yourself turning to addictions. You're going to find yourself turning to other people who will give you temporary relief from your stress. You're going to find yourself uh, turning to pornography. You're going to find yourself dealing with anger issues. You're going to find yourself... Fitting into the old stereotypes that I just told you about, you know, men are rapists, men are worthless, men are cruel, men are immoral. That's right, that's exactly what you become when you forget that you're a man of God, called by God to fulfill your responsibilities as a man. I'm going to tell you today, you can't do it on your own. You need to have the power of God at work within you. And when you have that power of God at work within you, gentlemen, you will more than rise to the occasion. You will become truly a great man. And your kids will remember you as a great man. My grandfather, grade three education, retired at age 75 because he just couldn't afford to retire, was a janitor to school. When he died, there was nothing but praise for this man who didn't travel the world, didn't get a degree, didn't get paid a lot of money in life, didn't do great things, didn't climb Mount Everest. But here's what he did. He was a man of God who served God with his whole heart. And he was a man who fulfilled all his responsibilities to his wife who'd never had a job and to his seven children. And he provided for them and took good care of them. And when he died, our hearts were broken at the loss of this truly great man. What's going to be said about you, man? I'm telling you, this is something you have to work at every day. It's not something that you do just on Sundays. This has got to become a lifestyle choice for you so that you can deal with your anger, you can deal with your selfishness, so that you can be a great man. In the Old Testament, you read about David, King David, who tried desperately to be a true man of God. In fact, the Bible calls him, in the end, this is this is I'm sure it was written on his gravestone. He was a man after the heart of God. Oh, I'd love to have that, dear. Put that on my gravestone, please. I hope. that's what I want on my gravestone. He said this in Psalm 18: For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. All God's laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before God and have kept myself from sin. That's a true man. That's a great man. That's the kind of man I want my daughter to marry. I've been talking to Sarah now for the last... She's, what, 12? I've been talking to her now for, what, four, five, six, seven years about the kind of man she's going to marry. She already knows. She's that's right, Dad, that's right. We've got the checklist. We're ready to go here. He's got to be a godly man. He's got to love the Lord. God's got to be number one in his life. He's got to be a virgin. Yeah, that's what I want for her. He's got to be a man who tithes, wants to support the kingdom of God, put the kingdom of God first. That's what I want for my daughter. He's got to be a man who wants to Take seriously the call to be a man of God and to take seriously his responsibilities to be a great man in the kingdom of God, a great man in church, a great man in his family, a great man amongst his friends. He's got to be a man of God. Yes, Dad? <clears throat> yep. Yeah. And I said this. I said, you've got to bring him home to me. And if I say no, I don't want to fight about it, right? That's right, Dad, no fight. <laughs> and all the fathers said... <laughs> David says, I've been blameless before God and have kept myself from sin. And then he says this, he says, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. That's the kind of man I want to be. That's the kind of man I want my sons to be. And you can believe it. I have some very serious discussions with my children about what it means. To have a great marriage and a great family. I have a very, very serious and I, I don't hold anything back. I nothing is censored. When I would talk to them about what it, what it means to be a man of God. My children know what kind of mates they want to have. Because I've taught them that. And Gloria has absolutely one hundred percent come behind me and confirmed. And I think she's got her own little thing going on the side, too. Telling the kids what kind of a life they need to have in order to be happy. The Lord, gentlemen, will reward you for your righteousness. The Lord is going to reward you according to the cleanness of your hands, your purity. Now, I know some of you are real sharp Bible scholars here, and you know that David actually did fail. He did mess up. Now here's the, here's the wonderful news, friends. David did mess up, but guess what? He found forgiveness, and he was restored. And still it was said of him, even after he messed up miserably, And after he found forgiveness for his sin, it was still said to him, he was a man after the heart of God. Guys, I want you to know something. It is not too late to get it sorted out. It's not too late to get it right. It's not too late to be a man of God. It's not too late to be a man who takes seriously his responsibilities. That's what God's calling you today. And I love the words of that song that Barry led us in, oh, how he loves us. He does love you. And he wants you to get on track today. so I'm going to ask you to do something a little unusual. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you hold hands, men. But I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to come and join me here so I can pray for you. So, guys, as Karen, if you play, as you played that video clip, guys, come on, join me at the front here so I can pray for you. Would you do that? We you have any fathers and sons, fathers and sons, stand together, would you? That'd be really cool. Move in close, guys. Let's pray. Father, I just want to say thank you for these men who are here this morning. Some are here maybe because they feel a bit pressured into this, (laughs) not necessarily what they want to do or what they would be inclined to do, but God, they're here. And God, I pray right now that they would feel your great love for them, that you want to strengthen these men and help them to be the men that, you've called them to be men of God. Of God. And God, that you would help them to take seriously their responsibilities as fathers, as husbands, that you would help them to take seriously the responsibility as employees or employers. That they would take responsibility as Christians in their church. God, I thank you right now that you love each one, and some are standing here today having failed you and failed their families, but God, right now, you have nothing but love in your heart. And I pray right now that you would just pour out your love right now. And God, that heart that is guilty, God, if they, they only knew that all they have to do is come to you and confess their sin to you, and you're faithful and just to forgive them and to wash it all away and give them a clean slate. God, do that right now. God, I pray that these men standing here today would start thinking seriously what it means to live daily a life that honors God so that their children may look up to them as truly great men, so that their wives would look to them and feel the love in their hearts for this great man that she's married to. Father, we pray right now for grace and and for strength to serve you and to follow you with all our hearts. May we find ourselves on a daily basis, God, every one of us, may we find ourselves coming to Jesus, coming to Jesus and coming to Jesus again and again and finding the grace and the help that we need to love you and to serve you. God, thank you right now for these men. Now, Lord, make your face to shine upon each one and give us peace until we meet again. And we thank you, God, that we do not walk alone. That you have given us the promise that if we would come to you with our heavy burdens, that you would give us rest and you would teach us how to cope and how to live in this life. We thank you for your promises in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Guys, why don't you just, uh, you don't know you just shake hands as you... If you feel real bold, you can give each other a hug or whatever. God bless you.